This edition of the DVR podcast is sponsored by the boys of Bird Campbell, your Duke-centric law firm. Lawyers by vocation, but Duke grads by the grace of God. Founders and former Duke roommates Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird say, go Duke or go home. Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to this edition of the DBR Podcast. I think this is number 95. Guys, am I correct? Is this number 95? Sounds right to me. Yes. So I am Jason Evans, your host this week. I am not coming to you from Atlanta, believe it or not. I am in Philadelphia, where I'm visiting my two sons at college and spending Thanksgiving with my in-laws. It is a wonderful place to be because I got to watch Duke basketball. It didn't matter where I was. And uh, there's an interesting story about where Sam and Donald are this week. Go ahead, gentlemen. Sam. Where are you? I am uh, sitting on Donald's couch in Washington, D.C., um, which, uh, which is a lovely place. I think this is the second time I've recorded here. Second or third. Um, so I'm, I'm used to it at this point, although I believe that the microphone that I'm speaking into this time was not here the last time I was here. So uh, some tech upgrades here at the Wine Household. I'd just Very like to nice. note for the record that I am also sitting on my couch. That, yes. <laughs> and Donald, Donald is also here sitting right next to me. We're, we're sharing uh, a computer, a, uh, a microphone, and, and my earbuds. Um, so we have to sit right next to each other because uh, we're, we're listening on the same feed. I feel so much closer to you right it's, now. It, it's, really, uh, it's really, you know what? I think I, I think I made the same comment last time I was here. You did. But... I really don't want to know what else is going on on this couch. Um, so why don't we uh, why don't we talk about basketball and or football? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Well, can 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 I just say I am literally envisioning you guys cheek to cheek as you talk about the Blue Devils. Our uh, <laughs> our thighs are gently touching. Yeah, that's sweet. It's and wonderful. That's, that's and that's about as and that's about as much as we're going to say about that. So uh, we have a lot of basketball to talk about, and we also have football to talk about. Um, and, and one of the themes of this episode, in my mind, is going to be eating crow. And I am uh, eagerly looking forward to eating my own crow uh, over the football team's success recently. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about hoops. Uh, Duke played in the PK-80 Classic, or whatever the heck it is, the PK-80 something or other, um, out in Portland, Oregon. Um, and uh, all three games uh, were pretty much exactly the same. Duke would fall behind, even against a lousy team or a mediocre team like Portland State. Duke would fall behind perhaps by a lot, um, perhaps by as much as 15 or 17 points. And then suddenly in the final, oh, 10 minutes or so, Duke would go, wait a second, we're the best team in the country. We completely forgot. And, uh, and they would remember that they're the best team in the country, and they would come from behind and storm back to get, uh, get wins. It included a dramatic overtime victory over Texas and uh, a last-second victory over uh, Florida. Uh, beat Florida 87-84, Texas 85-78, and uh, before that, Portland State 99-81. Gentlemen, I'm not going to dwell on that Portland State game, but let's take the most recent one first. Let's start with Florida. Uh, again, the Blue Devils won 87-84. It was a game they were trailing by, I believe, 16 points was the margin at one point. Um, and, uh, and yet, they, they, they came from behind to win the game. Marvin Bagley was, oh, oh, marginally good, I would say. <laughs> uh, 
Marvin Bagley had an incredible weekend. And and rather than having me get into it, that is you guys' job at this point. I will come in with comments later, but let me start with Sam. Um, talk about that Florida game and and be honest. Did you think we were going to win when we were down 16 with about 10 minutes to go? I did think that Duke was going to make it close and that my general commentary was going to be that they're clearly talented. They clearly know how to play together. They just don't do it for long stretches. And more importantly, they don't really have the defensive identity figured out yet. I think that the most concerning thing to me is that Coach K has to keep switching the defense. I think that if if we had one defensive style that we knew worked or one rotation that we knew um, was particularly confounding to opposing teams, then that would be fine, even if it was like a weird mix or not what we expected at the beginning of the season. Um, but I did expect Duke to, to, to claw back a little bit. I think they missed a lot of uh, a lot of shots throughout the Florida game that they knew were bad shots. Du- Trayvon Duvall especially, I think, made uh, a lot of plays that, that were not becoming of him. And uh, Wendell Carter did the same thing where he was taking, you know, he was, he was taking post shots, but they were often like falling away or being double teamed not the kind of shots that, that he's normally able to get. Um, and they weren't getting Bagley the ball in, in situations where he could really do much with it. He was getting double teamed a lot. So I expected them to, to figure that part out. I don't know that I expected them to win. Uh, but even when they were down by a lot, I thought this game is moving fast enough that, that a, a 10-point lead, a 12-point lead, I, I think it actually got up to 17, was not actually going to be um, – so insurmountable that Duke couldn't claw back. And they had done it <laughs> the last two games. The, the, the other big concern for me was that they looked tired at the point in the game where, where they got down by the most is like early in the second half. Yeah, it was, just, it, you're right. It was, it was 17.74 to 57 with about 10 minutes left. And, 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 and the, the, the fatigue certainly looked like it was catching up to them. I mean, Florida had this similar kind of trip, right? They, they were coming from the East coast and playing, all the way on the West Coast for for a long weekend, um, so they should be subjected to the same, uh, you know, to the same issues with with fatigue. But but Duke seemed to be suffering more from it, at least sort of in that middle section of the game. And then and then once they kind of turned it on, like you said, once they looked around and realized, hey, you know, we're better than this. Um, the offense just seemed to start clicking. Guys were making shots. Guys were making better shots. Um, it wasn't just that they were making them; it's that they were taking better ones. You know, going at the bucket as opposed to falling away. And, and that was kind of the kind of the key to the victory. I don't know that the defense, I mean, the defense locked down in the second half. I don't know if that was much as much on Duke as it was Florida regressing to, they can't make every three pointer that they take. Well, Florida is an exceptionally good three point shooting team. Uh, you're right. They can't make every three pointer. I, I, I think the, the thing that happened with the defense is uh, as, as Duke rebounds better, as Duke scores on the offensive end better, it becomes harder for Florida to get into any kind of transition game. Um, and clearly, this was a Florida team that wanted to push the ball up the floor and play at a fast pace. They were playing basically four guards around one big man. And, and you know, in a situation like that, you, you don't want Duke's big men to get set. Um, uh, and, and so that was essential for them. Uh, I, you know, when Duke made their run in the first half, when, when Allen and Trent went off for a bunch of three-pointers, um, Florida's offense bogged down because we were scoring. And every time we scored, it meant, you know, Florida had, 
uh, it delayed their ability to get into some kind of transition or some kind of fast-paced offense because we could come down and be set on defense. Yeah, and um, I, th- I think that, I get into I, I think more, that the, the, yeah. the the thing to note in in those times when it was when you could tell that Duke was doing better, you could tell that Florida was doing better. One team seemed to be on their heels and one was on their toes. Right at with, at the points where Florida was doing well, it seemed like they were able to get opportunistic rebounds that led them into the fast break. They, like you said, they, they push the tempo and that's the way they want to play because they're, because they're really fast and not that big. Um, there were times when it felt like they're totally controlling the tempo and, and Duke couldn't do anything about it. And then when Duke was making its runs, it seemed like the opposite. And, and I think that the thing to watch going forward as far as the tempo is in general, looking at the way that Duke gets back on defense, but specifically how the big men get back, because the, the hardest thing that Duke had a, or the, 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 the thing that Florida did the best last night um, in the times when they were, when they were controlling the game was getting the ball down the court quickly in transition and getting it to the bucket, not kicking it out. Um, yeah, and, she, and, that they're, was, they're, and that was on the bigs, not being doing their rim running the way that the way that I know they're capable of it. I mean, Wendell Carter is like one of the best running big men and as is Bagley and they should be able to get back and they weren't doing it for stretches last night. Uh, their their point guard Chioza was fabulous in he this is game. Unbelievable ability- that that whole team in the first half. Like, you know, I hadn't seen Florida play a lot, and to see them play, like they they are a squad. And I was telling my friend who went to Florida, that team's going to be a problem the entire season. They they can shoot really well. They can shoot in buckets, like in droves, and they run the floor and they play good defense. Like they do all the quality things that you expect from a really good team. And that was a really good team we played last night. And size is probably like the only thing that really limits them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that didn't even seem to be a problem for them against Duke because they they kept with us on. I don't know, Donald, what's the what was the rebounding margin? Uh, I think it was 43 to like 38 or something like that. So, very close. Oh, oh, wait, gentlemen, stop for a second. You have just said the magic word. This is Jason. You're about to be welcome to Jason's unified theory of the 2017 to 18 Duke season. Okay. Are you ready? Uh, we're uh, gonna, now. Well, b- before you say this, you know we're going to have to keep coming back to this every time you, every time we play a game, because I think you're going to drop some real knowledge. I have no problem with that because right, I truly think I, we are now eight games into the season, and and I have seen what I think is going to be the the key for this Duke team, um, and and it is rebounding. Uh, so I I, I didn't want to get completely into the Texas game yet. But I'm going to give you some stats about the Florida game and also the Texas game. We'll get to the Texas game in a minute, but this is just to demonstrate my unified theory of rebounding. Um, uh, so uh, you're correct. We won the rebounding margin in the Florida game, 43 to 36. Uh, we were not, however, winning the rebounding margin when we were getting our butts kicked. Um, <laughs> when when we were losing by 17 points, uh, the rebounding margin was decidedly tilted in Florida's advantage. And then over the final 10 minutes of the game, Duke out rebounded Florida by 16 to 3. I want you to think about that number. 16 to 3 rebounding in the final 10 minutes of the game. Uh, we out rebounded them 7 to 1 in the final 5 minutes. They they didn't have a chance to get the ball and we quite often just tossed the ball up at the rim and said, "Okay, it's ours. It doesn't matter. We're taking it." And the same exact thing happened the night before against Texas, a team with much better big men. Uh, that was a game where in the last eight and a half minutes of the game, Duke out-rebounded them 15-2. to two. And then in 
overtime, we out-rebounded them 8-3, to 23-5 in the final eight minutes plus overtime. We, out, uh, we, were, we were getting owned on the boards. The rebounding edge was 34-27 to 27 to Texas before we turned it on and just destroyed them on the boards. And I'm not talking like, oh, we, you know, we fought to an even battle or we out-rebounded them by a couple. We're talking, again, the last eight and a half minutes of the Texas game, 15-2. to two. The last 10 minutes of the Florida game, 16-3. to three. That is absolute board domination. And this this Duke team is capable of that kind of thing. And when we do that to teams, they're demoralized. They can't get rebounds to get into their offensive sets, you know, in terms of fast breaking. They can't stop us from scoring because if we miss, we're grabbing it anyway. And frankly, grabbing it around the basket with Carter and Bagley, we're going to score virtually every single time when that happens. Rebounding is what's driving this team and turning it into a juggernaut. I got and- a lot more. Well, I, I was going to add to that that the, you, you hit on the key, which is that the, the the offense I think is around Bagley and Carter being able to do what they do. The, the shooting, uh, you know, Allen is capable of having a big shooting night. We've already seen that from him against Michigan State. We know that Trent has it in him, although I don't think we've really seen that come out yet. And hopefully, we do soon in a game so that teams will will play him a little bit closer. Um, but the offense is really generated through the big guys. Um, it's Duvall getting into the paint. Uh, it's the it's the other guards getting into the paint or or, or tossing the ball down to them. Um, and and the rebounding is going to be a huge part of that, especially on the offensive end, where they're going to have to collect a lot of missed shots. It seems like because although Duvall finally made one last night, I think he's only got three made threes on the season, and he's shooting an awful percentage of them. Um, so the 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 I, I, Jason, I think you're right, and I think it is going to be um, you know maybe we can. Maybe for games going forward, particularly the the games again that are against really strong opponents, try to predict what the rebounding margin is going to be and how that affects the final score. And maybe maybe we can chart that or something. All right, Donald, I, I want to let you get in. I've got a lot more stuff on this Florida game, but I want to toss it to you with with a, a question, so to speak. Um, I, I want you to talk about Marvin Bagley. Um, we, we, we haven't gotten into individual performances yet. And so we're going to start with Marvin Bagley. Um, by the way, for his third game in four days, Marvin Bagley played 39 minutes. Grayson Allen played 40 against Florida and Bagley, by the way, played 39 minutes while chasing a perimeter guy, uh, you know, not a, a big man, not his traditional defensive assignment. He was chasing, uh, Kulichev, uh, all around the arena that game um and Kulichev only you know he had 15 points but he only shot four of 12 he wasn't um this is a guy who who quite often is capable of going off for 25 plus and and Bagley kept him uh in check uh, very very nicely um talk to me about what Marvin did and and his stats uh, oh my goodness his stats for the three-game tournament oh, Donald I can't wait to hear your commentary on it and and, and Donald keep it Keep it clean. I'm sitting right next to you. He, he's amazing. <laughs> like, you know, it's funny. This morning, I mean, we're recording this, ladies and gentlemen. We're recording this Monday morning. It's like 9.15 a.m. on the East Coast. The game ended about eight the hours ago. The game ended about eight hours ago. <laughs> and since I've woken up this morning, I've received maybe 15 text messages from people. And those text messages start off with, is Marvin Bagley the third, the greatest Duke player since, and they insert some player, Kyrie, Grant Hill, Shane Battier, Elton Brand. 
Yes. The answer is yes to all <laughs> that. And honestly, we yeah. might be at near this point where we have to say, is he the best Duke player that has ever worn the uniform? And I well, know that's, that's something oh, you don't let's, say. Let's, let's, not get, I, let's not get crazy on that. Let, let's say best freshman. Well, I, look, because... look, people aren't saying freshman because he's damn sure not playing like one. But he, he averaged like 28 and 15 in this tournament against some really good competition, including, you know, some really good big men like Mo Bamba, who who's, was fantastic. I know we haven't talked about Texas yet, but I, he's done. He did everything. And honestly, last night, he even was nine for 10 from the free throw line. Entering the tournament, he was 50% from the line. And we've talked about that's probably the one area of his game that he needed to improve on. And boy, last night, did we need every one of those nine free throws. In fact, the team went 19 for 20. So he missed the only free throw that we that we missed as a team. But we absolutely, after some shaky outings at Charity Stripe, he came back and performed at a level that a lot of people have not seen from anybody, regardless of what year they are in college. And to, to see him perform it my my friend said last night late last night if you turned on that game at any stretch and watched 30 seconds you it'd be very clear who was the best player on the court and it, it didn't matter if it was offense if we were on offense or defense Marvin Bagley III was everywhere and, and he really had to step up you know for most of the game Wendell Carter didn't have a really good game he it was very he was struggling from the floor uh he was in foul trouble Delorier was in foul trouble. So really in the in inside, there was a point where we were just giving the ball to Bagley and getting out of the way. And he would have three or four works. people on him. And that still, works. <laughs> it still works. Yeah, it still works. And that is incredible to me that we have a player of that caliber. And he's a freshman. Guys, he just arrived in August. It's not like he was here all summer. He declared in August and showed up. He should still be in high school. He should still be in high school. He should no, he shouldn't. He should be playing LeBron. He should be playing, Kyrie. He, should be playing right. <laughs> he should be getting paid for this, but he's not. Yeah. And I'm so glad that for at least a year we get to have him. So he's so poised. Like how I don't understand how a guy who's that young and who came in so late just looks so calm on the floor. Even when when the team was down, mm-hmm. he didn't start forcing um, start, start forcing bad shots. You know, he, he, like I, I was saying earlier about how the team at, at a point was taking bad shots. They were, you know, especially down low. Um, and he just seemed to recognize it and correct it. Like he did, it didn't even seem like he needed time on the bench to like, to like sit and think about it. He just snapped and that was it. You brought some, you brought me to my main point yeah. that I was going to do about basically this whole weekend. Uh, and really, especially against Texas and Florida. Against Texas with 829 left in the second half, we were down 14 points. And ESPN gave Texas a 97.2% chance of winning that game. Last night against Florida, with 10.01 left in the game, we were down 74 to 57. And ESPN gave Florida a 98.5% chance of winning that game. And we won both of those games. So what's the overarching theme of this whole weekend? This team has some damn heart. Like, it's unbelievable that the poise that this entire team, top to bottom, showed. Uh, you know, some of the freshmen play like freshmen for a lot of these games, but they still have the heart and poise of a championship team. We've talked about this a couple of times, but it really came out this weekend. They battled through some rough patches, and in the end, they came back. And it wasn't that Florida or Texas or Portland State played bad in those stretches. Hats off to them. They played their asses off. All three teams, they came to play this weekend. 
Their fan bases should be extremely proud of how they played. But I cannot be prouder of a team, of this team, for what they accomplished in Portland. And the heart and poise that they showed through each one of these games is something that championship teams have. This team has that moxie and, and is led by, you know, Grayson Allen being like Grayson Allen didn't have a good shooting game, but he led in other ways. He's, you know, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. He's been leading this team. What needs to be done gets done. If someone needs a rebound, guys get a rebound. If we need a three pointer, hit Allen or Gary Trent will hit a three, will hit a three pointer. If we need to make free throws, we're knocking down our free throws. If we need defense, someone steps up with a big defensive play. Every single bit, when you look at these games, there is a point where you say, this team two years ago or three years ago, four years ago, it would have been done. We would have been talking about a blowout loss. But in each of these games, they somehow remained calm, collected, poised, and they did just the little things here, a rebound here, a stop here. A, a, a layup here and they just crept back and they just kept believing in themselves this team is incredible in that regard and i it's something that you don't want your you know our heart to be tested so early in the season but this team knows how to win when their backs against the wall that is going to be very important down the stretch regarding bagley <laughs> uh you know in games where he doesn't get poked in the eye and have to sit out for the rest of the game He's averaging almost 25 points and 12 rebounds a game. Is that good? And it's okay. The, the, those are silly numbers. Those are <laughs> absurd. There's uh, Elton Brand didn't do that. Christian, I don't think Christian Leitner didn't do that. 25 and 12 from a freshman who's eight games into his career. And, and against and, and so far, I mean, against how many how many likely NCAA tournament teams? Michigan State, Florida, who are both top 10 quality teams. Texas is, is also really talented. Um, and then, you know, one or two of the, of those other teams that we've played um, that, that wouldn't be big name programs are probably also making the tournament. It's not like, it's not like he's doing this against only, you know, garbage competition. This is, this is against like a pretty good sampling of how, of how the, the schedule looks in general. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, Donald, by the way, I'm really glad you mentioned Wendell Carter, who, who was really struggling. Um, and I, I think it's significant, you know, Cake could have gone with Bolden or Delaurier. I thought Delaurier was playing with great energy. Bolden, you know, didn't get a lot of minutes uh, either, but um, had a couple effective minutes when he was in there. Um, it was certainly intimidating in the inside. Kay could have gone with one of those guys, but he stuck with Carter and he was rewarded with about eight and a half minutes left when we were down 14. Carter, who hadn't scored all game and missing like bunnies, missing short short shots, suddenly goes off and scores six straight points for us to bring us within ten. Um, at, at, you know, great determination on his part to continue fighting. Great faith again from Coach K. Um, and, and I want to mention, you know, in the Florida game, there are two plays that sort of are etched in my mind. <laughs> With three minutes left, and when we were down six points, Trevon Duval made an absurd cross-court pass to Grayson Allen, and Allen made an absurd pump fake to then free himself up to bury um, a, a three-pointer to bring us within three points. Uh, you know, Duvall, uh, Duvall's still big-time learning what he can and cannot get away with, but every so often he'll have one of these one-handed, no-look kind of, you're just like, did he just do that? That's why I mean, that he guy, was the top point guard in the class. Yeah, right? that guy, <laughs> he is creative. Um, and then the other thing that sticks out in my mind, and it's like not something that 
necessarily was a, a game-breaking play by any stretch of the imagination. Marvin Bagley's defensive rebound. It was about eight minutes left in the game. And, and Bagley, who had jumped for it the first time, did one of these crazy second jumps that, like, I don't think it was physically possible for him to do what he did. And he tapped the ball back so it didn't go out of bounds. It was a combination of uh, of speed and agility and athleticism and length. A human being can't do what he did, but he did it. That it was one of the most ridiculous saves. Jay Billis was was fumbling for words; he couldn't even describe what it was like. But those are the two things that stick out to me. Um, uh, you know, Duval's past and Allen's three, and then just this crazy little tip play by Bagley, and it was the kind of thing where you went, "How, how did he do that?" Um, but it ended up being good for Duke. We we take the ball down. Wendell Carter scores. It's actually it actually resulted in the a transition basket that that was Carter's first bucket on the game. So it sort of you know got Carter more into the game, uh, and, and he went on to score a couple more, which again is how how we got back um, you know uh, from from being down seventeen, um, you know riding Carter for a couple minutes. God, it was just uh, the 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 things Bagley does on the floor. I, I've never I, you know I, I and. I, I, it's easy to fall into hyperbole, but hyperbole here it comes. I've never seen a big man do the kind of things he does at Duke. You heard the word second jump like 80 times during the broadcast last night. It's almost like Jay Billis got married last night to a woman named second jump because he was in love with it. And with great reason, because it is weird. He he jumps. There was one where he shot the ball and he knew he was going to miss the shot. So he said, you know, Bagley just said, F it. I'm just going to throw it off the backboard. And then he jumped higher for the rebound than he did for the shot and realized he, he grabbed the ball. and He was two feet above everybody else uh, and was able to come down with it and then, you know, lay it in uh, for uh, for two points. And I'm like. A lot of people have spring, but they don't have more spring to get the rebound than they do for the shot that they just put up. Like that is something that we're going to, you know, people are going to be talking about second jump the entire season. And Bagley is the reason why he's almost rewriting the definition of what a second jump is and how it's supposed to look because it looked gorgeous when he throws a ball up and then goes and grabs it and then puts it back in. It's almost unfair for the rest of the, uh, for the rest of the defense. And by the way, mad props to Chris Burgess, uh, assistant coach of the Utah Valley basketball team and friend of the podcast who came on the podcast uh, a little more than a week ago and somewhat introduced us to the concept of second, not the concept, but uh, he's the first guy who started talking about it. And since then, you're right. I hear it constantly. Gentlemen, I want to really quickly get to the Texas game. Um, I, just to get your impressions uh, of of that one, um, this was a game that Duke came from behind uh, and and won in overtime, eighty five to seventy eight. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's a game where the Blue Devils were getting killed on the boards and ended up killing the boards instead, <laughs> and that's how they pulled out the win. Uh, really interesting game because Grayson Allen fouled out and in only 25 minutes of play. And as a result, um, we were introduced to the Alex O'Connell era. Um, Alex O'Connell led Duke in offensive rebounds in this game. How crazy is that? And he played 29 minutes and absolutely belonged. We've said that about him many times. He belonged every single second he was out there. Donald, I'll go to you first. Um, give me a little bit 
of what you thought about the Texas game and what happened um, in that contest. How surprised were you that Kay said, I'm putting these five freshmen out here for the final five minutes or I guess like two minutes of regulation and pretty much the entire overtime? You know, that's trust in his team. And we've talked about some of these freshmen about how you, you said the word belong, how they belong on the court and they play like they belong on the court. That kind of trust is, you know, that that's what, you know, that's how you earn the trust of Coach K. And that trust is paying off when he turns to Alex O'Connell in a, in a very tight situation, says, I'm going with you, kid. And, you know, that tells these guys, that, you know, these guys are ready for prime time and they're performing. You know, that is incredible. But, you know, one thing I want to talk about, you know, with Texas, their length was a little bit of a problem early in the game because they're trying to feel out how, you know, how the team plays with Mo Bamba in there because he's incredibly long. He's a 7'9 wingspan, 7 feet tall, and is going to play in the league probably next year as well. The guy is really, really good. But one thing that I saw in this game, and then obviously it, it kind of correlated a little bit to uh, to Florida, they spoke a lot about our driving lanes and how teams are clogging the paint because Bagley and Carter are in there. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but what that does is it eliminates driving lanes for Duvall, Allen, and Trent. And they don't get clean looks when they go to the basket. So sometimes early in the game, when they're trying to establish that, it looks kind of helter-skelter. And I think what's going to happen is, you know, there's going to be work. You know, we have a quick turnaround this week. But after that, maybe a little bit of work on our spacing inside so that those looks those driving lanes are still there. What's going to need to happen is Duval shooting better from the outside because there was a point during both Texas and Florida where teams just stopped guarding him when he had the ball on the outside. And they just would, whoever was on him would just kind of clog the inside knowing that he was either going to A, drive, or B, pass to someone else who was going to shoot. So they're not respecting his shot. And if he could be an occasional outside threat, and we're not, and I'm not asking him to, you know, hit eight threes. But if he can knock down a couple jumpers outside, that's just going to pull more people out and is going to make his preferred avenue of driving to the basket that much easier. And he can play into his strengths. So that's going to be something to kind of look out for over the next couple of weeks, how we can kind of make, make it a little bit more of a balanced attack. We don't need to go back to being, you know, all threes all the time. But I think if we can have some of the outside guys shoot uh, and make a little bit more, that's just going to make the floor so more, so much more spread out. You know, Bagley could get 50 points if there's not four people on him every single time he grabs the ball. Carter could get 30 if there's not going to be four people. And all these guys on the outside, the perimeters, O'Connell, you know, even Goldwire, Delorier, when he's on the, on the uh, wing, like these guys are going to have eat, eat people's lunches if they're going to have, you know, wide open lanes. So, I think that was one of the main, you know, things that I saw in both of those games, but especially in Texas where they kind of played a little bit into Mobamba's hands early in the game and they figured out a way around it, which I think was a great great adjustments by both the coaching staff and the team. Sam, talk to me a little bit about our bigs against Texas because uh the overtime was hysterical. Texas uh uh Texas ended up fouling out. Um the Texas really has three big players. Um, and uh, uh, Sims, Bamba, and Ostinkowski, and Bamba and Sims both fouled out. And and at that point, um, they had like you know six five, uh, a guy like Roach or someone like that was was guarding uh, Marvin Bagley, and and 
it, it was in the overtime. It was it was hysterical. It was like I was guarding him. That's how effective Texas was at stopping right. and, Marvin Bagley. And not and you know Florida had probably is similarly sized to undersized version of Texas, and they they handled it. I mean, not that you can really stop Bagley. I think that uh, Mike White had that great quote at halftime when he, when Jeff Goodman was asking him how you're going to slow down Bagley in the Florida game, and he was like. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, if if you have an idea, you could let me know. But um, no, the, the, I I I was impressed with the way that the the bigs responded to that because um, again, it, it goes back to what I said about the Florida game. It's all about poise. They they take the opportunities that were available to them. If you look, um, Jason, I know that one of your favorite one of your favorite uh, things to look at after the game is the shot chart. Uh, I don't know if you were going to bring up the one from Texas from the Texas game on both ends of the floor, basically almost every shot that was made was taken inside the paint. Um, be it from Duke's big men, both of whom had really good nights. I think both Carter and Bagley had had double doubles or, or close to it. Um, Texas was basically the same way. And then, and then shots dotted around the perimeter. Um, Duke only made three threes in this game. Allen had two corner threes and then Bagley had the one at the top of the key. Um, so yeah, it was a lot about, uh, getting the ball inside and the and the big men making making good moves against specifically against Bamba, who I know we talked about on the show when he was being recruited by Duke in the spring, and we were disappointed that he didn't come. We kind of, I, I think the fan base and 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 we did this kind of dismissed his recruitment a little bit because we were like, oh well, we have Wendell Carter. They were a little bit redundant. Man, if we had. Uh, not that Bamba is better than Bagley, but if we had Mohamed Bamba on this team, um, he he would be a star just as much uh, as 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 Carter and Bagley have been to this point. That guy is is outstanding, um, and he also looks like he's going to be an impact NBA player, you know, really quickly the way that the way that Bagley does. So um, I, I was excited uh, going into the game. I know we didn't preview them much. I was excited to see how Carter matched up with him because I'm sure they've played against each other numerous times, you know, in their AAU life. Um, and, and I thought that Carter handled himself really well in this game, much better than he did against Florida. Um, so, uh, th- you know, that, that part was really promising. I don't think we've seen the, all the guys come out looking good all at once. Um, you know, we saw it from a couple of the dudes in the Texas game. I think that the game plan changed a little bit uh, against Florida. Man, we're, we're going to have a game soon where all five starters play well. And, and, and obviously Allen um, not, not, not being in the game very much because of the, because of fouling out um, when all five starters are on um, when Duvall's finding passes and when Trent and Allen are both making jumpers, whew, this team is going to be, is going to be so, it's going to be so hard to beat if all the, if all the five starters are, are playing well on one night. We lead the nation in points in the paint. We average almost 50 points a game in the paint. Just imagine if you add that to the, you know, having a good shooting night, like Jesus. I mean, yeah, against, uh, against Texas, Duke had 72, 73 points in, in regulation. Um, and they only shot 16% from three point. Um, it's absurd, right? That, 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 that's, that, that is not a, that is not how college basketball works anymore. And, and so even if they get to a still bad, but double that 32%, mm-hmm. um, I mean, this team's going to be beating, they're going to be beating good teams easily. Well, uh, so to me, the terrifying thing for college basketball is 
these guys are just stupidly young. They don't get it yet. Uh, they haven't figured out how to play consistently at all. But it's still November, and they have three months of games before March rolls around, and they're going to be terrifyingly good in March. And, I mean, unless well, you and, think Coach K doesn't know how to teach guys effort. And and you're going to see, you know, going looking ahead, um, we have the Indiana game, and then there really aren't that many games left um, before Duke goes to um, to the to conference play. I think there's only like three or four games in in December. Yeah, December's a, a quiet month. Yes, um, there's gonna. You, I, I don't know how much we'll hear about it because the program is good at at kind of hiding what they're what they're working on. Um, but come ACC season, don't be surprised if we see a lot of new defensive wrinkles. The team being a lot better in transition because they're going to have time and a lot of tape to look at from from these from these early season games that are going to make them a lot better um, than they are now. So uh, last thing about Texas, uh, before we get to some general comments that I have, and, and then I want to bring up something about some, a prediction Sam made. Um, but the last thing I want to mention about Texas is uh, th- there's, to me, a little bit of a trend developing where our big men wear the other team down. And one of the reasons Duke is being so dominant um, in the closing five to ten minutes of these games or dominant in overtime, one of the reasons we're absolutely owning the boards uh, which, which, you know, something I mentioned earlier, I mean, our rebounding margins are are 10 plus in the final 10 minutes of games, uh, which is a crazy kind of rebounding margin. <coughs> Sorry, I got a little bit of a cold. One of the reasons we're doing that kind of thing is because uh, our, our big men appear to be in great shape and and the other team gets really tired playing against them. Uh, and And I think you really saw that against Texas. Um, I saw Mo Bamba dragging, um, uh, and and I, I think one of the reasons he fouled out was because he was tired and he wasn't able to remember his fundamentals. Um, I, I I I'll go ahead and say this: I I sort of, you know, as as much as I love the way we played and I love the energy we showed down the stretch, I I, I could sort of see the rationale for saying I kind of wish maybe we'd lost one of these games. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I mean, we have to learn to play. I mean, Donald mentioned how great are we going to be when we, when we have a game where everybody, you know, plays together for a full 40 minutes. Uh, I, and I know Coach K thinks this. K, Coach K knows that there's going to be a time when getting down 15 points with 10 minutes left, we're not, not eight shots down the stretch. And, and look, against Texas, we got some very lucky breaks that they, um, you know, we had a number of bounces sort of go our way. Same thing against Florida. You can't get down. You can't consistently get down by double digits and, and then think, oh, yeah, in this. I'd love for these guys to show some intensity, especially on the defensive end and rebounding. Um, the, the intensity that we have in the final five to ten minutes, I'd love for us to show it in the first five to ten, ten minutes of the game. And then the next ten minutes and you know, for the first 30, they won't need to do it for the last 10 because they'll be winning by 30 points. I mean, um, in, I, in, in lieu of, of losing one of these games, because I, I think that what you just said, Jason, is, is kind of the general tendency. Like, oh, they need to learn. They, they need to know what it feels like to lose so that they can, so they can become better winners. I think that what happened this weekend was maybe like the better version of that. 
because they have a strong coaching staff and a senior in, in Allen who has seen them lose games like that before, um, who can hopefully impart them on the freshmen. And it's not like it's not like the freshmen don't have it doesn't seem like they don't have the the like wherewithal to 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 get through those those challenging games. Um, I don't know if this team needs to lose. I, I, I think that, you know, it can certainly be a teaching moment, but I think that what we, that, that it was so stark in, in both of the really competitive games this weekend that they've got plenty of tape to look at as far as how you guys are, you know, if, if I'm the coaching staff, this is how you guys are, are getting down and this is how you're getting back up. And let's focus on, on how we, on how we maintain the get back up version of that, the whole game, like you said, playing in the first 30 minutes, the way they've been playing in the last 10 minutes of these games. Okay. So I want to get back to something I said a moment ago, a prediction that Sam made um, a week or two ago. He said that we would not develop our bench and we would lose at least one game because of the struggles um, of our bench players. Um, uh, I think Javin Delorier, Marquise Bolden and Alex O'Connell, each, all three of whom played significant minutes in every single game. Um, O'Connell, of course, you know, played almost 30 minutes against Texas. Uh, all three of those guys gave us some really, really nice production when they were in the game, brought great energy. Um, uh, I, I will say that Jordan Goldwire has sort of, it looks like he may be fading a bit from the rotation because Grayson Allen's doing a really nice job running the point when Trevon Duval goes out. Um, and that was, you know, that, that sort of was Goldwire's role. And, and I think that, um, especially against Texas, Allen did a fabulous job penetrating and creating, um, uh, uh, you know, passing lanes that he took advantage of and gave Duke easy baskets. And I think uh, Goldwire has fallen a little bit from the rotation as a result of that. But, but Sam, I want to go to you. You thought we would not develop our bench. And I think Delorier, Bolden, and O'Connell have said, uh, uh, not quite so fast, Sam. We, we have something to say about that. Yeah, I, um, I think that I don't know how well I expressed this the last couple of weeks. I've thought that Delorier was going to get enough minutes that he was going to be an acceptable substitute for almost anybody on the floor because um, he does seem to be very versatile and and has totally embraced that role this year. I was concerned about Bolden and and the rest of the guards. Um, and to this point, I think I've been wrong um, because, as you said. All, all three of those guys, and I think I, I think we now know that those three are the ones who will come off the bench. I think um, Kay's not going to play more than more than eight guys. He really prefers it to be six or seven. Um, and Delorier is clearly the first man off the bench, and then and then one of Bolden and O'Connell seem to be seem to be the other two. Um, and and yeah, I, I think so far I'm wrong um, about that prediction. I, I want to see it continue going forward. I want to see them get. Um, kind of consistent minutes, even if they're light, some consistent minutes and, and, and good minutes against more good opponents. Um, and like I said, the, the the schedule that they've played to this point has been uh, probably pretty representative of what the schedule looks like the rest of the season. So it's encouraging. Um, I want to see it keep happening. I, I do think back to, uh, and I know Jason, you, you probably talked about this. Um, I think back to the 2015 championship team the, the team on which Allen was basically a non-factor at the beginning of the season. He had a couple big games late in the season, particularly after Suleiman was dismissed. And then obviously in the final four and in the championship game was, was like the star of the team. Um, I don't know if Duke's going to need that from any of the freshmen, but um, 
but I think that that example sort of gives me hope that, you know, if, if coach K is continuing to motivate the, the young guys, um, a guy like O'Connell, maybe even Goldwire could, could end up supplanting him later. Um, if they, if they keep thinking your shot is right around the corner, um, then yeah, then, then I am, I am happy to eat crow on, on that prediction. And honestly, with the three guys that you mentioned that are coming off the bench and and two of them in in Delorier and O'Connell, you have two high energy players, you know, Bolden's coming off the bench. Understatement. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what, that that's the Duke basketball that, you know, we're all used to seeing that the high energy, you know, guys who are, who are doing everything, they're filling up the stat sheet, they're doing all the little things. And honestly, that's going to make our team better when coach is saying, these two, you know, Bolden's coming in the game, you know, because he is, you know, our big, you know, our best big man on the bench. And after that, you have Delorier and O'Connell. Delorier, who's very versatile. O'Connell, who has proven himself every time he's on the court. And they both are high energy. They give you what you need to get back in the game or to win games. And that's going to be a message to the rest of the team saying, hey, if you can play this high energy, if you can play on these this guy's level, then you can get more minutes and that's really only going to make our team better. If we see that kind of energy always coming off, coming off the bench, no matter who's coming in the game. My, my instinct still when Bolden comes in, like my, my initial reaction just to seeing him on the sideline is, uh Oh, like, yeah. Like we're, <laughs> and, and, and I want that to change. I want to feel like, Oh, Bolden's coming in. The other team doesn't know how they're going to, how they're going to handle him because they've just been working with the, with the two mobile bigs. And now he's about to be a force inside. I want to think that about him. I, I also wanted you. We, we talked about Delorier and how versatile he is. We did not give him props yet for the um, for the uh, smashing against the backboard block that he had. What, was it against Texas or was it against Portland State? It was one of the other games. It wasn't last night um, where he he blocked a ball against the backboard with a ferocity that I don't think we've seen probably since Miles Plumley did that a couple times, and and Plumley did it like in, in chase down situations where he would, where he'd get ahead of steam and do it like LeBron style, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Delorier just did it from like a set position. Like he just jumped over the dude and swung his arm over the guy's head. And, and I wish I remembered which play it was. Um, it was, but, uh, so it was, it was against Texas and he, I may be wrong. I think it was Kyle Roach. Uh, yeah. I mean, Kerwin Roach. I think it was oh, Kerwin yeah. Roach. And Kerwin Roach was the guy who absolutely posterized uh, Delorier right before halftime when when Texas right. was all like yeah Texas is up you know he put him up twelve points um uh, with a vicious slam um, Roach by the way had a great game uh, against us just basically taking the ball to the basket and saying I dare you to get in my way and we didn't get in his way most of the time um but yeah late in the game uh, or in the second half of that game Delorier had a a big block on him and and you're right I, I mean Delorier's energy is just it's infectious. Uh, I wish we could take a little tiny bit of it and, and put it into Marquise Bolden because um, that's the thing Bolden isn't bringing in my mind. He's like, he doesn't move to the ball. He's not active quite enough. He's incredibly long. He's very skilled. He had a really nice hook shot basket um, uh, against Florida. You know, he, he, he looks like he, he looks like he belongs on the court in terms of his physical abilities and his skills. But like his energy level, uh, you know, isn't even in the same ballpark. Which is weird because because it's like he's like the only rotation player who doesn't seem to have it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we 
we've talked about like Trent and, and Duvall's struggle shooting. It's not from a lack of them getting open, getting good looks, uh, you know, being out of place, which is what happens when you don't have energy. Um, all the starters have it. Uh, Delorier definitely has it. O'Connell seems to have it. He seems to have really great court awareness for a kid who did not come in as, as highly touted as, as, a, as all the starters did. Um, but yeah, Bolden seems to be missing it. And I don't know, I don't know how that could be the case with, with all the rest of these guys as his teammates. When he comes, to, you know, when balls come to him, like if the guy's driving towards him, he is very good. Like he's had a few blocks where you're like, oh, well, that's going to be a foul. Oh, he blocked it. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So he has one of those things where he he knows his positioning. Um, and, and, you know, I think that is cool. But like the other guys, like, I mean, last night, I think Bagley had something where he was going to, it looked like he was going block to block it with his knee. Like he was that high in the air. Uh, but one final thing I want to note about PK80 is, you know, when we play Texas, that is a personal game for me because I went to Duke. And my brother went to Texas. Uh, and since my brother started at Texas, we are undefeated against Texas. So I'd like to thank this team for maintaining my my flawless record against my brother. Shout out to JJ Reddick. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, the, the last thing I'll, I'll, I, that uh, to, to some extent, um, we won this tournament on defense uh, down the stretch against Florida. This team that, that you know, was really struggling to keep Florida from getting to the bucket and, and, and all those other kind of things. Boy, did we turn up the defense and, and we turned it up on the perimeter. Um, uh, you know, Gary Trent played some really solid defense and, and, and hounded someone into a steal. And then Trevon Duvall played good defense in the perimeter and, and got a steal. And, and then, uh, you know, Bagley, uh, uh, everybody, we didn't let them, they, they had, what was it? You know, uh, 10, 11 seconds left and they didn't even get off a decent shot. Um, you know, they got off a shot that didn't have a prayer because of our defense. It, you know, as great as these guys are on the boards, as, uh, as sublimely talented as they are on offense, um, when that D starts to come around the way it did in the end of the game against Florida, and we also played pretty good defense, I thought, you know, late game situations against Texas. Um, oh, oh my goodness. I mean, I, I'll go back to what I said earlier. It's got to be a little bit terrifying for college basketball. To, to watch this team and, and think about, you know, how, how do we beat these guys? Um, and uh, how are we going to beat them in March when they're three months more experienced? Whew. I mean, when coaches are outright saying it, you know, the rest of the nation's thinking it. Folks, today's edition of the DBR podcast is proudly sponsored by two Duke alums and former roommates in the class of 1978, Jamie Campbell. And Tucker Bird, diehard Duke followers, the founders of the Bird Campbell Law Firm, a Duke-centric business law firm with offices in Dallas, Orlando, and on the Gulf Coast of Florida. They have watched and cheered for Duke football and basketball for close to 3,000 games. These guys are true blue. We ask you, please, if you are in search of legal services in Texas or Florida, reach out to them at birdcampbell.com, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. If nothing else, you can tell them, go to hell with Carolina. So, gentlemen, it's time to look ahead a little bit to what is on the plate to come for the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, as we mentioned, the, the schedule slows down a little tiny bit. We have the ACC Big Ten Challenge this week, um, uh, and, and in that, 
Duke will be playing the Indiana Hoosiers. And many times, many years, Duke would play Indiana and you would think, oh, you know, Indiana, they're, they're a big time opponent. They're, you know, a really solid team. Um, I, I sort of feel like that isn't the case this year. Um, I, I'm going to give you all a little bit of Indiana preview. And then, you know, if you want to add anything to it, feel free. Um, uh, Indiana is currently 77th in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. They've played the 319th easiest schedule in the country. They haven't really played anyone all that good other than maybe a Seton Hall team. Um, but despite playing uh, an easy schedule, they've lost two games. They lost to Seton Hall fairly convincingly, and they lost to Indiana State. And uh, Larry Bird is not currently playing for Indiana State. Um, uh, uh, last year's Indiana team had some really good players on it. They had OG Anu, uh, Anunu. I can't say his name. Anunobi. I can't even say it. Whatever. OG. Um, who went to the NBA and was drafted and um, uh, is in the league. Thomas Bryant um, went to the NBA. I believe Thomas Bryant made the league. Yeah, I'm not sure. And James Blackman. They're all getting paid to play this year. Um, no longer on the team. Uh, the Last year's team also lost Tom Crean, um, their head coach. And now they have Archie Miller, um, famously a point guard at NC State, Archie Miller, and uh, uh, did a really nice job as the head coach at Dayton. He is now the head coach of Indiana. His brother, Sean Miller, is the head coach of, of Arizona. Um, so the key for Indiana is going to have to be uh, their big men and their ability to control Duke on the board. Bagley from absolutely dominating the game on the inside. Um, good luck with that, Indiana, um, uh, because we've seen some very, very talented teams uh, fail miserably at that task thus far this year. Um, the big men for Indiana, the guys who are going to hopefully try to do this to Duke, are primarily um, 6'8", Juwan Morgan, and 6'10", Deron Davis. Deron Davis is a, is a load. He's about 250 pounds, very, very strong guy. They block shots fairly well, but they haven't faced anything like Carter and Bagley, and they aren't even close to the athletes that those guys are. Uh, I, you know, As Sam mentioned, um, uh, you're going to hear the term uh, second jump a lot in this game, I think, because the Indiana guys, just they don't get off the floor nearly in the way the Duke guys do. Um, Indiana has some okay shooters from the outside. Um, you know, nothing super great. Uh, senior guard Robert Johnson um, is averaging about 14 points a game. He hits about 40% of his threes. But they don't have anyone um, playing guard who can consistently drive into the teeth of the defense and create stuff for other players. They don't have anybody who gets a lot of assists in that kind of way. Um, they frankly struggle to score a little bit. Um, you know, playing against pretty bad competition. They've They've mostly been scoring in around, you know, 75 to 78 points a game, um, which, you know, it's sort of tough to see a Duke team not getting to a pretty, you know, significant number higher than that. And then one last statistic, and then I'll see if you guys have anything at all to add. Um, Duke leads the nation in offensive rebounding. We grabbed 43.1% of our missed shots. We are number one in offensive rebounding. Indiana is 176th in defensive rebounding. That means they're about average. They're about 340, 330 teams in Division One. They're right in the middle of the pack in defensive rebounding, playing a bad schedule, playing teams that are smaller than them, teams that are not as you know, gifted as Indiana is um, or as big as Indiana is. Not that Indiana is huge, but you know, Indiana's played a weak schedule so far. Um, so my prediction for this game is that the Blue Devils are going to absolutely own the boards and uh and that indiana will really really struggle to be in this contest i i, I it's played in bloomington i mean you know indiana has performed magic at home in the past 
it, it will definitely take magic for them to be in this contest. I'm disappointed that Duke didn't get a better matchup in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I don't think uh, Indiana, I don't think, is a team that's going to make the NCAA tournament. They're not the best the Big Ten has to offer. Um, and uh, that's a pity because um, I think it would have been fun to see Duke. I, I know we weren't going to play Michigan State because we play them um, in the Champions Classic. Already played them this year, but uh, I would have loved to, you know, Northwestern or Minnesota. You know, a team like that could have been a good matchup for Duke, but we're not going to get to see it. We're going to get Indiana instead, and I don't think it's going to be all that competitive a game. Sam and Donald, y'all got anything to add? I think that the the only thing I'm looking for is the reaction to the road environment. Duke has obviously played in some big neutral site games so far, but have not played in in a road game. I think like maybe the closest they came to playing a road game would 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 have been like the Portland State game. Um, where they responded. I mean, they, they were losing to Portland State, and then they realized they were more talented. Um, I think the same thing should happen to Indiana, but that's a, that's a true road game. Assembly Hall is like one of the greatest basketball arenas in the country. And, uh, and as you said, Jason, they've, they've pulled off some pretty awesome upsets there. I think the, the one that comes to mind recently was, uh, was Christian Watford making the shot against Kentucky. This team is not Christian Watford's uh, Indiana team. So... Uh, I expect Duke to win, but I, I am curious to see how the freshmen react to the road environment. I mean, first of all, the for some reason, Archie Miller uh, is not, I mean, they haven't had a great start at Indiana, but he had a much better week than his brother did, who went 0 for 3 in Atlantis. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, like, I, I, I agree with Sam. I think the, I, I'm looking for more specifically, not just how they react, in the road environment, I want to see their intensity level. You know, we've played five games in nine days. Um, that is a, a hell of a haul for any team, much less a team loaded with freshmen who are entering, you know, in the middle of their eight games, eight games into their career. So how do they respond on the road? You know, they're tired. They, they had a red eye last night back to Durham, only probably to turn around and fly to Indiana. Uh, how do they respond to that? How was their intensity level? If they can come out with the intensity that they've shown in the last, you know, five minutes of the games against, you know, Texas and Florida, we're, we're going to be okay. But I want to see that level because it's going to take that level to really get through this hump. This is where the the wall hits, and uh, that's a lot of times where Indiana um, really gets people, especially at home. If we can overcome that, overcome the crowd, and really just, you know, play with the poise that we've shown. Uh, over the you know the first eight games of the season, we're going to be just fine. I, I should add, Jason, you mentioned that you would have preferred for Duke to play Minnesota. Minnesota seems susceptible to uh, playing against teams with only three players, as they demonstrated against Alabama. Yeah. And if Colin Sexton can can score forty points against them playing three on five, imagine what like a Trayvon Duvall, Grayson Allen, Marvin Bagley team would do to five, five man to five man Minnesota. Um, so, so we need we, we need to we talk beat about the crap this. out of that. We need to talk, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> we need to talk about this for a second because this is one of the craziest things in the history of mankind, folks. If you were not paying attention, um, so there was a situation where Alabama was playing Minnesota. It was in a, a tournament. I, I'm not sure where the tournament was. There was a little bit of a fracas on the court with about 10 minutes to go. Um, at the time, Minnesota was winning, I think, by like a 15 points. Um, uh, there's a you know a little bit of a scuffle on the court, and the Indiana guys did the dumbest thing you can. Po- I'm sorry, Alabama, the Alabama guys. Alabama. Yeah. The Alabama guys did the dumbest thing you can possibly do. They got up off the bench and they took a step or two onto the court. It's not like they gang tackled anyone. It's not like they you know 
broke out in fisticuffs, but the Alabama bench rose up and stepped onto the court. And the moment you step on the court in a fight, you're out of the game. You're gone. You're kicked out. That's just the way the, the rules are. There's no, the, the officials are not able to say, oh, we'll only give you a warning this time or, oh, we're only going to kick these guys out. Now, all of them are gone. So literally the entire Alabama bench out of here. They're gone. They're kicked out of the game. They're not allowed to play. And then um, someone for India, someone for Alabama picked up um, his fifth foul and fouled out. And then someone else for Alabama got hurt, turned an ankle. And Alabama was left to play three on five. Their freshman phenom point guard, Colin Sexton, was still around. And they, the other two guys were not starters. Like, it wasn't even like they, they could pick their three best. Like, they had two subs and Colin Sexton playing against the five players of, of Minnesota. And somehow, Alabama came back from being down like 10 or 15. They cut it to three at one point, and I think they ended up losing by five. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what would happen is they played a one-two zone, and they, they, they let Minnesota take eight-foot jumpers over them, Minnesota would miss, Alabama would grab the rebound, and Colin Sexton would rush down the floor as fast as possible, you know, so because if Minnesota got their defense set, there was, you know, there was no way three guys were going to score on five guys if the five guys were actually ready and playing. So Colin Sexton would rush down the floor as fast as possible, and the Minnesota guys would chase after him, and they could do nothing to stop him. He scored 40 points. It's one of the most unreal things ever. There was a very, very real chance that Colin Sexton and two scrubs were by themselves going to beat a ranked Minnesota team. And Colin did, Sexton did you guys watch like, any of this? Colin Sexton is like is like one of the greatest players that Alabama has ever had. Yeah. Um yep. you know, yep. not like they have a particularly storied basketball program, but he's like he was a he was a pretty big time recruit and uh I think he might be leaving for the NBA this year. Um so I, I didn't get to watch much of oh, the game, he, but I but is, I saw some is. of the highlights. He's and, one he's one and done. He's yeah. one and done. Um it, it, it was outrageous. I, I don't know, Donald. Did you did you actually get to see it? Yeah, I saw the last. I mean, it was right after the guy got hurt, so they basically were down to three players. So I saw the last like I want to say five or six minutes of the game, and it, it's funny because it reminds me when I was when I was playing alumni basketball here in DC. There was a game where you know I showed up with two other people, and we had to play three on five for the whole game, and we almost won that game even without two pointers. But what it means, I bring it up because I was like, I'll never see that again in life. And I saw that in a actual NCAA college basketball game. And it was between two real teams, between two real teams. And it was fascinating to watch because it wasn't like they had like a plethora of timeouts and they had all these, you know, under four, under whatever time they had under four timeout. And I think they may have had two 30 second timeouts to use to keep these guys fresh. And they didn't really need it. Like they just basically said, you know, we have three guys. What, what are we going to do now? Like we might as well just, you know, play hard. And that's what they did. Like that, it was really, really fascinating to see them climb back and almost win. I mean, they had a chance to tie the ball game within like 35 seconds left in the game and they just missed the shot. So that like hats off to Alabama. I was like, I, I think I was, I posted Twitter right at that point. I was like, you got to really commend them for playing three on five in any game that is for official record, um, especially an NCAA college basketball game, and especially in a holiday tournament where they have probably come off of a couple games in a couple days. Hey, I got a question. How much do you blame Richard Patino in Minnesota? 
I mean, how much of this, obviously Colin Sexton's incredible um, and, and props to those guys for Alabama for a huge, huge effort. Um, you know, and, and there's no team that has a, hey, here's how we execute a five-on-three offense or a five-on-three defense in their playbook because it's not something you practice because it doesn't happen except it happened. And Minnesota looked terrible. I, I, how much do you blame Richard Patino for having his team? Like they were, they were shooting like twelve foot jumpers. They were shell How shocked. do you not just? Yeah. I, yeah how do you? I, not, I how do you not just say confused. we're taking we're taking a layup we're taking a, a we're getting a get a slam dunk every single possession? Well, you said I, it. I, I, I don't mean, even get it. You said it. They they there is no playbook for this. When when a team shows up, they don't expect at the end of the game to be playing five on three, and it's not like. Hockey, like hockey, you have a power play. You practice the power play all the time because it's going to happen every game, five on three, five on four. But in basketball, you don't expect to have five on four, much less five on three. And you never even like in a situation like that where it happens, you don't expect an entire bench to get thrown out for for stepping on the court. You maybe maybe a couple guys, but they all stepped out in unison and then like literally stepped out two steps and realized their mistake and came back. And at that point, the refs like, I have no choice, but to throw them all out. You don't plan for that. So I, I don't really fault Minnesota or Rick Pitino or, or Rich Pitino because I, you, you can't like you at that point, I'm sure the team was like, are we really doing this? Like, are we, re- this game isn't forfeit. We're really going to play five on three. They were shell shocked. And they, and that's how it seemed to me when I watched the game. Um, and really, Alabama just you know said again on the other side. They say, "Hey, we we have three players. We might as well just you know play hard the rest of the game, see what happens." And they did that. Like it's really no disrespect to Minnesota. It's all credit due to those three guys from Alabama. There's another uh, there's another sport analogy that I would make, which is that um, when pitchers in baseball are um, like have the bases loaded, or or when they're up in the count like two zero or three zero, um, they don't always throw strikes. And it's just like you're you're putting them in sit like and and major league pitchers should be able to throw strikes every time they want right mm-hmm. like you give the guy the ball and he you're just like throw a strike he can throw the ball down the middle um, it doesn't always happen because they're put in these situations where it's like don't don't fail don't fa- it'd be very easy for you to fail here mm-hmm. uh, and then they do because they're thinking about it too hard um, and and it's probably the same way that when you when you play golf and you think. Uh, oh, there's there's water on the left. I'm not going to hit it to the left. What happens every time you hit it to the At least I do. Um, <laughs> you hit, it, you hit it to the left. I do too. Um, so I, I think it, it's, it's just like, it, it's such a weird situation that you have, like Donald said, you never practice it. You don't really think about it. And it's hard to kind of like, to retrain yourself to be like, we're, we should be killing this team. Uh, and this is how we do it. It, it. It's hard to unlearn kind of the stuff that you that you know about playing. So, Donald, you watched it. Can, can I just ask, because there's been some discussion on the Duke boards, and I, I want to get your opinion about it, and then we'll move on from this because we're, this is not the Minnesota basketball report. Um, do, do you think that Richard Pitino, that Minnesota decided to take their foot off the gas, so to speak, and, and just sort of coast and not let, like, oh, yeah, Alabama's getting back in the game, but we're, we're still going to win, and, and we don't want to rub it in. We don't want to be rude to them or anything like that. Do, do you think that's what happened? No, I, I honestly, uh, like I said before, I just think that Minnesota was shell shocked. I again in basketball, you plan for a million different scenarios. This was a million and one. Like you never, ever, ever plan to play a game up two men. 
Like you just don't, you don't, you don't prepare for that. And these guys are preparing for so many other scenarios. They practice so many other, you know, predictions or, or things that could happen in the course of the game. And this was never going to be one of them. So when that happened, I literally look all the all the Minnesota players. They didn't they didn't slack off. They didn't really not stop playing hard. In my opinion, they just looked like coach. Like this is not something you told us was going to happen. Like and it it's took them like kind of five minutes to really prepare for that. And that always plays the advantage of the team that is facing that adversity. And that's in this case, Alabama, Alabama, they didn't have to do anything, but play hard because no matter what happened, if they lost by 50, they could say, Hey, we, you, we had three players for, you know, eight minutes of the game. If they play hard and they come back and win, it's again, like we're talking about it. It's the story of college basketball. So that is really no fault on Minnesota It's literally every single bit of credit has to go to Alabama because they did, what any team would do in that situation. They just, they just played, they just played like they, you know, like they play on a basketball court, but basketball court, you've definitely played pickup games, you know, four on five, three on five, because you're just waiting for that fourth and fifth person to show up at the court. But this is not something you prepare for on the college level. And, and they just, they just played. That's, that's exactly what this game was. It was a game of college basketball, but it was a game where people just took it back and said, we're just going to play hard and see what happens. Okay, gentlemen, uh, I said at the top of the podcast that one of the themes was going to be the notion of uh, uh, the, the notion of repentance and, and eating crow. Um, and, and Sam had to do it a little bit earlier when, uh, when, when he had to admit that his expectations for the Duke bench were not being realized because the Duke bench was outperforming his expectations. It is my turn. I've raised my hand. I am the guy about to eat crow because a couple weeks ago we were talking about Duke football and, uh, and we noted that Duke needed to win their final two games. They needed to beat Georgia Tech and then they needed to win at Wake Forest to, to be bowl eligible. And I flat out said it. I said, they're not going to do it. They're not going to win those two games. Georgia Tech, I thought, was better than them. I thought Wake was way better than them. And winning at Wake Forest, this is a Wake team that – you know, uh, had seven wins. Uh, it, it wasn't going to happen. It, you know, Jason went on the record and Jason was wrong. <laughs> and I'm delighted. I'm thrilled to have been so wrong. Um, the Blue Devils uh, over the weekend um, uh, amazingly uh, defeated the Wake Forest Demon Deacons 31 to 23. Uh, perhaps even more amazing. They did it through the air. Daniel Jones, 346 yards passing, two touchdowns. Um, really impressive effort. Uh, great effort by the defense that held Wake um, completely in check in the second half. This has become like a theme for Duke that, uh, that, that we own the second half uh, the past couple games. I, I, I adore it. I love it. It's great to see. Um, uh, Donald, let me start with you. How surprised were you to see the Blue Devils win this game against Wake Forest? Well. I wasn't surprised because if you note a couple episodes ago, some of us predicted that we would win two games. Uh, I just thought it was going to be Army and Wake and not Georgia Tech. Uh, but to beat Wake on the road in it, you know, really, I mean, this game, the last two weeks have been must win games for our football program. 
for the season. You know, we talk about being able to practice in December and getting those extra reps, getting those extra that extra game and a chance for the seniors to go out on top. You know, at the beginning of November, that didn't seem likely. And I think this team really dug down deep and they performed. And, you know, even when they were down, they kind of borrowed a little bit of of poise from the basketball team, I think, because they came back and they came back in a big way, um, both weeks against Georgia Tech and against Wake Forest. So, so happy that they found whatever was missing uh, in October, uh, went back to September, brought what was missing and, and, to, and brought it to November and played. Uh, but also that they get to go to a bowl game because uh, that's something that you want for this team to do. We, we think, you know, at this point, we, we kind of uh, we don't still take these for granted. Um, you know, going to a bowl, we missed one last year after going, you know, four years in a row. Uh, and now we're back and it still feels like the first time we went to a bowl game back in 2012. So uh, that is a remarkable comeback for these guys way to play uh, with poise, with, with tenacity and really not giving up um, in, you know, even, you know, there's a couple guys who had some slumps over the last couple months, they emerged in big ways. And you talk about Daniel Jones, he performed, it wasn't lights out, but he performed what he needed to. And that was really, you know, one of the big differences. And Britton Brown had a great game the other day as well. So I think those guys uh, being able to get to a bowl game is is a remarkable feat. And I'm now I'm really looking forward to seeing where we end up. Yeah, I, I, the I was watching the game, and the moment went. So Duke uh, Duke forced a turnover um, on a it was on a punt. Um, had the ball like at the Wake Forest twenty. Uh, was about to start a drive on a very short field. And then Daniel Jones managed to get, a. he threw a pass, it got tipped. He then went to go catch it and then, and then throw it back to one of his linemen or one of his running backs. Uh, it was a, it was a weird kind of broken play, but Wake Forest ended up with the ball back um, in a situation where Duke was, had all the momentum. And I was like, Oh, that's going to be it. Like, you know, that, that, that that's, that's kind of where the, where the hope, sort of went away from me and then but but Duke remained calm um they locked down in the second half on defense against Wake who uh who's who's been really solid this year probably as good as they've been um in the last 10 15 years since they um since they made that run at the ACC championship game and and went to the Orange Bowl um which now I think was like 12 years ago probably their best team since then um Duke really locked it down on defense in the second half and, and prevented Wake from getting anything going and um, I was also glad from the week before that that Duke managed to recover from the Army game and and hold strong against a Georgia Tech team that does a lot of the same stuff that Army does, but better. Um, and and uh, and Duke gets to go to a bowl game, and, and Georgia Tech does not. So uh, pretty good showing, and 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 it does seem like we're going to be playing Central Michigan. That seems to be the consensus in the in the bowl projections. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that maybe more next week when um, when when that comes out. Um, but I'm really proud of the of the team for for kind of rallying together at the end of the season and pulling off two wins when I, I thought that Jason's prediction was probably looking correct as well. So, so are the cops coming to arrest you guys, or is that just uh, no? I think that's just I think that's just what happens in Donald's neighborhood. I think we know that now. Yeah, we know that. Look, it, it, see what happened was last night. I was I was watching the game, so I have an alibi. I don't that's know right. what Sam was doing, uh, but it wasn't here. So they're not coming after either of us. No, we're good. 
So guys, we're almost done. We're going to quickly do player of the week. And uh, folks, we, we came to a decision. We, we decided that we are not going to name our player of the week this week because all three of us, you would have to be insane not to name Marvin Bagley as your player of the week. And that would have no drama. There would be no nothing really interesting about that. Marvin Bagley was the best player in college basketball this week. No question about it. He absolutely dominated the tournament that we played in. And so rather than naming our player of the week for Duke, we're going to name our second best player of the week because all three of us were going to pick Marvin Bagley. Uh, so, uh, Sam, I will go to you first. Who is your runner-up for Player of the Week this week? Let's go with Wendell Carter for his performance in the Texas game. I think that his um, his ability against, against Bamba and the rest of the Texas bigs really kept us in it. And um, I think there are a couple other guys you can pick, obviously Bagley being the best of them, but, but I'm going to go with Carter for his game against Texas. Donald, your turn. Player of the week, not named Marvin Bagley. Uh, I'm going with Grayson Allen. You know, he's had a rough go of it lately shooting a ball. Uh, but where he has excelled over the last five games is in ball distribution, mainly, you know, assists as well as his leadership. Uh, he's leading by example and showing that, you know, even if you're in the middle of a shooting slump, there are so many ways you can help this team win. You know, against Southern, he had four assists. He had six against Furman, nine against Portland State five against Texas and seven against Florida. And so he's making good decisions on the court and really his shot has appeared at times, uh, but it seems like he has decided he can get involved in other ways, but really his leadership and his poise is rubbing off on the rest of the team. He wasn't the Grayson that we've come to expect so far this year, but in terms of the leadership, I think he's exceeding everyone's expectation. And for that, he's my backup player of the week. So uh, there are some things that are unmeasurable, and you mentioned leadership and poise. Those are things that are unmeasurable. I am my player of the week is going to be something else unmeasurable. It's going to be energy. It's going to be intensity. Can you predict who my player of the week is going to be? Alex O'Connell. You are correct, sir. Uh, <laughs> I, th I think uh, this kid uh, and the announcers have started to pick up on it. Every single time he comes in the game, the Duke team gets a lift. He's not the most talented guy on the floor, um, but he brings so much energy, so much passion. He's playing really hard. He's playing really effectively. And there's absolutely no question, we do not beat Portland State without his energy early on in that game. To you know, he, One of our leading scorers, we don't beat Texas. He was our leading offensive rebounder against Texas. He played 29 minutes against Texas. We don't beat either of those teams without Alex O'Connell and the intangibles, the non-statistical things that he brings to the floor, he makes us better when he's in the game. And that matters a lot. And, and I'm, I'm shocked. I'm thrilled for him. This was the kid who, of all the Duke freshmen, most people would have said he's the one who's going to play probably the least because Jordan Goldwire, they thought, might have a role backing up point guard. Jordan Tucker was higher rated coming out of high school, which seems absolutely incredible at this point. And then we have the other guys who are all going to be one and done. And yet Alex O'Connell has created a role for him on this team. It's an important role. It is clear that Coach K values him. It is clear his teammates value him. The announcers and the fans are seeing great things out of him. He's going to be at Duke for four years. And um, there are a lot of people saying it. A lot of people are saying that this guy's career arc the way he plays, the things he brings to the table reminds them a lot of Grayson Allen. 
if he doesn't trip anybody, Alex O'Connell is going to be a really great Duke player by the time he leaves. And this is the first time I'm going to do it, but it won't be the last. Alex O'Connell is my non-Marvin Bagley player of the week. And gentlemen, we now move to parting shots. Let's uh, wrap this baby up. We've been talking for a while. So uh, I go to you, Donald. Tell me your parting shot this week. Well, I think you know where I'm going with this. Congratulations to Duke Women's Soccer. They have advanced to the College Cup. They got there. First, they beat UNC Greensboro. And then the Big 12 decided to throw Oklahoma State, Texas, and Baylor at us. And all three of those teams got smoked. Uh, we own the Big 12 in soccer. And because of that, they are off to Orlando. They play UCLA on Friday at 7.30. The other semifinal is Stanford and South Carolina. So the winners of those two games will play on Sunday for the NCAA championship. And the Duke women have actually really been close to winning it all the last couple of years. They lost in the final in 2010 or 2015, and they lost a heartbreaker in the quarterfinals last season to West Virginia. But this year, they have been destroying teams, and this team is built to win it all, and I think they have a really good shot. So best of luck to Duke women's soccer. You guys are the best team in the country, and I hope that this weekend ends with you hoisting the national championship trophy that you deserve. And they haven't ever won the national championship, right? They have never won. The men have won. The the men's soccer actually was Duke's first national championship in 1986. Against, um, Akron, against, against Akron, against Akron. I was they, on they lost in the quarterfinal um, this past weekend. So uh, congratulations to them on a great season, but we're all behind the women. Go get them, women's soccer. Uh, Sam, it is your turn. What you got for us to wrap things up? Two quick ones, both Duke sports related. The first, um, congratulations to Matt Luke, uh, who was uh, named, officially named the head coach of the Ole Miss uh, Rebels this weekend. He uh, was the interim head coach this most recent season beat Mississippi state in the egg bowl. And the connection here is that Matt Luke was an assistant under coach Cutcliffe at Duke for three or four seasons. Uh, I overlapped with him when, when I was an equipment manager, uh, I didn't know him that well, but um, always seemed like a, like a good guy to me. So it's cool that he has a head coaching job and particularly cool because uh, he, he went to Ole Miss, he played football under coach Cutcliffe and coach cut gave him his first job as a grad assistant right out of school. So, um, if you uh, you know if if you feel like you need to root for one of these programs that's constantly facing NCAA sanctions and and has all sorts of problems, uh, Ole Miss football has a uh, now has a very strong Duke connection. Um, and my other quick note was uh, I, I saw an interview um, yesterday. Uh, David Rubenstein, noted Duke alumnus and philanthropist, with, uh, has a interview program. I think it's through Bloomberg News uh, where he interviews prominent people from from lots of different walks of life. He But he did an interview uh, this week with Phil Knight. I think it was probably prompted by the fact that they were having the Phil Knight event, um, this basketball tournament in Portland. But anyway, um, if you get a chance, uh, go look for David Rubenstein's interview with Phil Knight. I think that um, Rubenstein's a, is a really good interview. He interviewer of prominent people because he is a really successful guy. So he knows kind of where the buttons are to push. Uh, so if you've never watched one of those interviews, they're always pretty good. And in particular, um, the one this week with Phil Knight was good because, uh, you know, he's the, he's the head of Nike and, um, Duke has obviously been a Nike school for a long time now. Um, so, so he has a lot of, he has a lot of interesting comments just about, uh, about that industry. And I know that we've talked about it on this show. Um, pretty cool to hear from a guy who, who was one of the 
key innovators kind of in making the apparel company such a big deal across athletics. And I will close things up. My parting shot, congratulations to Jason Williams, former Duke great Jay Will, who was inducted just a few days ago into the College Basketball Hall of Fame, which is a really cool honor for him. His pro career was cut short. He had a, uh, I believe it was a motorcycle accident. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, injured his, his leg, his hip. Um, never got to have the pro career that um, uh, many people think he would have had that would have been, um, you know, likely. A, he looked like he was on course to be an NBA All-Star. Never, never happened for him because of his injuries. And that's a pity for him. But um, honored uh, uh, so much by being put into the College Basketball Hall of Fame, which is a, which is a big deal. It uh, should remind folks. This guy was more than just a uh, announcer on ESPN. This guy was an incredible college basketball player, two-time national player of the year um, at Duke. Um, and uh, he was part of a great class. I was just like, wow, his, his College Hoops Hall of Fame class was incredible. Uh, it was Tim Duncan from Wake Forest, uh, Scott May from Indiana, part of the Indiana team that, uh, that was the last undefeated team in college basketball. Um, Bo Ryan, the longtime head coach at Wisconsin. John Stockton from Gonzaga, who was a great college player before he went on to be perhaps the greatest point guard in NBA history. And Paul Silas, you know, when Paul Silas uh, uh, left Creighton, he was the leading rebounder in NCAA history, the top rebounder in NCAA history. He only played three years, but he averaged more than 20 rebounds a game one year. I mean, like, that's just, that's a big number. That's a big number. And, and all, all those guys are absolute legends um, in, in the game. And uh, for Jay Will to be part of a class that included Tim Duncan, Scott May, Bo Ryan, John Stockton, and Paul Sli- Silas, uh, you know, really legendary and really cool. And, um, and Sam doesn't know who those people are, and I, I just can't. <laughs> I was about to say the only, the only one of them who I remember playing in college is Jason Williams. <laughs> I, I, you I can't only, be that young. I am. <laughs> Tim Duncan Tim Duncan hasn't been in college for 20 years and I'm only 28 years old. Ah <laughs> oh, dude, still check out YouTube sometime. Oh no no no, I I I have seen Tim Duncan Wake Forest highlights. He was awesome. <laughs> uh I feel so old right now. I feel so old. But by the way folks, this uh we were chatting um the uh, Donald and Sam and I were chatting about the fact that Sam didn't know who Scott May was and didn't know who Paul Silas was. Um, and, and as a result, it sort of got us into this conversation, um, on group me and, and, uh, and, and we said that, uh, as a result of this conversation, we said, we need to go back to our earliest basketball memories. We need to, to discuss what our earliest basketball memory is. Um, and, and we're going to do that on an upcoming podcast. You know, we mentioned that there aren't a lot of Duke games, not a lot of competitive games, especially during the month of December. So we got to have something to fill our time with. So on an upcoming podcast at some point, we're going to discuss our earliest basketball memories, and we'd love to hear some stories from all of you out there. Uh, hit us up. Have clips, if people have clips of guys from the any time from the mid-90s or earlier that they want to send me and have me watch live and commentate um, on the show, I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I, because Reach I really, out to us, people. Yes. If it happened, if it happened with a... Uh, in a in a year in the last century, um, I probably don't remember it as a as far as basketball goes. 
Yeah, you, um, you are aware. You've seen you've seen the play where Christian Leitner catches the ball from Grant Hill. You, you're, uh, you're familiar with that, right? A couple times, yeah. Seen that one a couple, couple times. Yes. million. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, folks, I was going to say, I was going to say, uh, you know, if you have a great early basketball memory or 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 an old basketball story that you want to tell from your youth, please send us uh, some details about it. Send us an email at dbrpodcast at gmail.com, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and by the way, uh, we remind you once again, we love it, love it, love it. Um, and it really is good for us when we get when we get ratings, when we get rankings, when we get um, uh, reviews on on iTunes um, or, or whatever format it is you're using to listen to this. If you're listening on your your iPhone, um, please rate us that way. If you're listening some other way, go and, and give us a rating, give us a ranking. Um, tell folks how great we are because it, it really helps our search results and all that other kind of stuff. And, and if you have any other question, any comment, any criticism, again, feel free to email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That will do it for uh, this PK80 Championship edition of the DBR Podcast. I, again, am Jason Evans. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks to Donald and Sam sitting side by side, cheek by cheek in Washington, D.C. for joining me as well. And we now hand it over to the Duke Band. Band, take us home. time to expect more from urgent care like caregivers who take time to listen smooth access to local specialty care if you need it virtual visits and save your spot convenience plus easy access community locations and we're open 365 days a year to treat your sprains cuts fever and flu northwell health go health urgent care get more than you expect and exactly what you need welcome to a new era in urgent care